the minor league seasons are over, and how did the prospects do? We'll ask Rob Gordon next on the first September special edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 13th. It's a lucky show number 41 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season, our first of two September specials. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you featuring a full-length feature interview with Rob Gordon, the minor leagues analyst at BaseballHQ.com, looking at the minor league season that just ended. We'll talk about which prospects took big jumps, which prospects took some steps back, which prospects will and won't open 2014 in the big leagues, and we'll also touch on some of the many top prospects scheduled to appear this fall in the Arizona Fall League. And there's more. We'll have our Friday matchups analysis with BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looking at the excellent Oakland rookie Sonny Gray hosting the Angels, the Twins' Liam Hendricks against the White Sox, and more. And we'll wrap it all up with Master Notes. BaseballHQ.com columnist Dan Becker offering five resolutions to get better or stay better. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. All right, so you're probably asking yourself, if this is the first of two September specials, when's the second one? And what's it going to be about? I'm glad you asked. We'll have it in two weeks on Friday, September 27th. Our second September special will be our annual Baseball HQ Roundtable discussion of Fantasy Awards for 2013. Ron Chandler, Ray Murphy, Harold Nichols, Jock Thompson, Todd Zola, Ryan Bloomfield, Pat DiCaprio and I will hand out our picks for the Fantasy MVPs, Cy Youngs, Rookies of the Year, Biggest Busts and Top Stories from the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. But right now, the first inning of our show, Talking Prospects, with our feature guest, BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Before we get into the minors and the prospects and the busts and the, and the keepers, how did you do in your fantasy leagues this year? Oh, it's a, that's a good question. I'm sort of uh, middle of the pack in a couple of them and, and fighting for a uh, four spot in the, in the sort of experts league that I'm in. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a, a rebuilding season. I won the, um, the experts league that I was in last year. And so, you know, in order to do that, I had to trade off some minor league uh, talent. And so a little bit of a rebuilding year this year. In your leagues, whether experts or your, or just with your buddies and stuff, do you hoard prospects? Do you find yourself being more of a prospect guy than some other guys in your league, given your interest in them? I would like to, but the the problem is that um, I have a hard time actually getting the prospects that I really want because you know the word, especially in the in my home league, my in my keeper league, you know any prospect that I'm interested in, everyone else is sort of 
it's like red meat now. And so they go out there and, and, and drum up the prices on guys. So, you know, Tony Singrani was a guy I really wanted this year and I was not able to get him because I got outbid and I, you know, I probably should have gone the extra dollar. Same with Jose Fernandez. I really wanted both of those guys. I thought they were actually going to, you know, have breakout seasons, but, um, got outbid on them. And then, you know, it's, it, it's uh, it's a little frustrating actually. Baseballhq.com subscribers, any of them? Yeah, some of them are. So they know exactly what I'm thinking usually. <laughs> yeah, that that can be a drawback as well for sure. Uh, in the news regarding prospects, probably the name that caught everybody's attention was Billy Hamilton of the Reds. We've talked about him in the past. Uh, record-breaking base stealer. He's now on the big league roster as a September call-up. Uh, what do you think he can do in the short term, and is he going to be of any use in the long term? Well, I think in the short term, he's definitely, I mean, if you're if you're scrambling for some stolen bases, and especially at this time of year, there's not a lot of opportunities, especially if you're, you know, if your trade deadline has already come and gone, um, and you're really fighting, fighting to, to, you know, make some ground in that category. He's definitely a guy that you should spend some fab on or try to get in one way or the other. Um, he's already gotten into two games. He stole two bases and scored two runs, you know, and you, you know, a couple, couple stolen bases here and there. If he gets, you know, 10 by the end of the season, um, that can, that can make a significant impact long-term. It'll be interesting. Hamilton really, um, I think struggled to hit this year as he has in, in other years, but, uh, you know, he had a good second half, hit about 280 in the second half. Again, no power whatsoever. Um, his walk rate actually declined a little bit this year. So, I think the jury is very much still out on Billy Hamilton. He hit 256 on the year. Um, you know, if you have a guy who hits 256 with a 310 on base percentage or something like that, um, that's that's pretty marginal for a starting center fielder. Uh, even if even if the guy's going to steal, you know, 60, 70 bases, uh, I think Hamilton, in order to be a regular full-time regular, is really going to have to show he can hit better than that. And uh, I think that I think the jury is very much still out on that. How is he defensively? Can you make an argument that he could play his way onto a roster because he's uh, picked it up with the leather? He was a struggling shortstop and apparently was having some trouble adapting to the outfield. Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress. I mean, you know, he's fast enough that he can make up for mistakes, which is which is great. But you know, I think he's still uh, you know trying to trying to especially trying to get good reads on the ball um, is something that he still struggles with. And he you know he's got a decent arm. Um, but it's not going to be anything that that's going to be a plus arm in the outfield. Um, so I think I think really it, he's I think he's he's solid defensively. I don't think he's ever going to be a Gold Glove guy, which I think would really really help his his value long term if he could be you know a guy that stole sixty seven bases and played Gold Glove defense in the outfield. Then then you might live with a subpar batting average, but. At least, at least for now, he he's not that guy. But like you said, he could pick up 10, 12 bags down the stretch, and depending on how the categories shake out or if you're in a points league, how those uh, stolen bases count for points, it could be worth having. Colorado, meanwhile, also recalled infielder Josh Rutledge. Big disappointment this year. He's back in the major leagues from AAA Colorado Springs. This is a player that we had high hopes for coming into the season, but he certainly didn't deliver. Yeah, no, he had a really disappointing season after a pretty nice season last year. Um, I still think he's going to hit. I just think he, you know, he was a little dinged up and maybe lost a little bit of confidence. But, um, you know, he has a pretty decent track record of, of hitting for average anyways. And so I think, uh, you know, especially in Colorado, it's, it's, it's worth a gamble if you, if you can go and get him or put him on your roster. I think long-term, he, he's not a long-term solution for the Rockies. But 
Um, I think over the short term, certainly down the stretch here, I think he's, I mean, given the, the limited number of call-ups that took place and the limited amount of playing time those guys are likely to get, I think somebody like uh, like Billy Hamilton or Rutledge would be a, a much better pickup than going out there and, um, you know, getting some weight or waiting on somebody like George Springer, who, you know, hasn't been called up yet. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd spend the fab money on, but I think my take is playing time is going to be key. You could be the best prospect in the world, like Nick Castellanos for the, for the Tigers. I really like him long-term, but the Tigers aren't going to give him a ton of at-bats in, in the outfield down the stretch, unless unless maybe once they wrap things up, they might they might change their mind a little bit and rest some some regulars. But they're trying to clinch, you know, home field advantage and all those other things. Right. So he's probably not going to see a lot of action, where somebody like Rutledge is probably going to play. Well, you mentioned that uh, some call-ups get to play, some call-ups just sit on the bench and watch. Uh, which roster expansion call-ups, September call-ups, do you think are going to have an impact this season for the stretch run for fantasy purposes? Well, again, that's always it's always tricky, and it depends on on playing time. Certainly, Castellanos is a guy that you know I would I would keep an eye on, especially if he does get some playing time. The Tigers' offense has been you know pretty solid, other than a couple drubbings that they took in the, in the last few weeks. Um, their their offense has been pretty solid all year, and so. If it's you know if it's really thin and you're looking for some runs or maybe some batting average, Castellanos is a guy that I would I would take a chance on. It's just that I think it's going to be fairly unpredictable in terms of his amount of, amount of playing time. Same with the guy from Oakland, Michael Choice uh, had a really good year this year. Hit 300 a couple years ago. He hit 30 home runs in the Cal League. He only hit 14 this year. So you know how much power does he really have? He's probably long term. He's probably like a 20 home run guy, but with you know a little bit of speed and uh, and definitely good batting average puts the ball in play. But again, it's, you know, and, and the Oakland outfield hasn't been hasn't been great. I don't I don't know what the highest batting average is for their outfield collectively, but it's it's not very high. So he could see him himself working into some some games here or there down the stretch. Um, but again, it's gonna it's gonna really come down to playing time. I think Taiwan Walker um, looks like you know Seattle's not going anywhere, so they don't have anything to lose at this point. They called up James Paxton and and Taiwan Walker, and Walker's really Paxton's more of a finesse guy. Um, who throws a lot of strikes and, uh, you know, can get some Ks occasionally, but is not going to be a guy that's going to make a huge impact, I think, down the stretch or even long term. He's more like a 3-4 starter. Where Taiwan Walker is just, he can be dominant at times. He had a 293 ERA this year, struck out 160 in 141 innings. So, uh, you know, he got called up on 828. So I don't know if that qualifies as a September call-up or not. I know some league formats, you know, kind of limit the the way you can go after players right um but if he's somebody that you could that you could get or or gotten i think he's going to actually see some some starts down the stretch i know he just started the other day um and has the potential to go out there and, and throw out you know seven shutout innings with 10 11 strikeouts or something like that so i think he's really going to make an impact and then the other guy that that i like is is michael walker who had been up earlier in the year and then Looks like he might get some starts maybe in the place of Jake Westbrook uh, in, in September here. So, again, it's all about playing time. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com, minor league analyst. Uh, Rob, I know we've talked about this in past editions of Baseball HQ Radio, but when you're looking at minor league hitters, what skills do you focus on when you're trying to assess whether a prospect has the skills, has the ability to make the big leagues and especially to excel for fantasy purposes at that top level? Well, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think certainly having shown early power is, is something that I always look for. Um, solid plate discipline. So when you combine early power with solid plate discipline and then athleticism. Athleticism is one of those things that 
you know, that raw talent aren't, they're not the kind of things that are going to show up in the stat boxes. So you really need, I think if you're looking to, to sort of evaluate those kinds of players, certainly taking a look at, uh, you know, scouting reports. And, and if you can watching videos that the, you know, the web's pretty good. There's a lot of video out there these days um, to get a kind of a feel for what the player is going to be like athletically. Um, but I think those are really the three things. So athleticism, early power and plate discipline. And, you know, it doesn't really have to be, when I say power, it doesn't necessarily have to be home run power. It's more extra base power. So if you take a look at somebody like um, Byron Buxton, who's I think has become in a very short period of time, the consensus top prospect in baseball, he only had 12 home runs this year. Um, but he had, you know, he had 19 doubles, 18 triples and 55 stolen bases. And he also walked 76 times. And he did that as a 19 year old playing at both low and high A. So that's something that really stands out to me. I mean, you, if you looked at his, just look at his stats line, it wouldn't really jump, you know, 12 home runs and almost 500 at bats isn't really going to jump out at you as, as saying the guy's got power. But, you know, you combine that with the, the amount of doubles and the amount of triples. Um, and you think, you know, the guy's only 19 and he's 6'2", 200 pounds. He's going to get stronger as he, as he matures. So that power is going to, going to really develop later on. Um, but the plate discipline, I really the fact that a young guy like that has, has walked 76 times this year, that to me is something that really jumps out. When you compare that to somebody like uh, Joey Gallo from the Rangers, who's a third base prospect who has lights out power. He's probably got the best raw power in the minors. He hit 40 home runs this year, but he struck out 172 times and he hit just 250. So he's also only 19. So there's some time for him to maybe cut down on those strikeouts a little bit. But if you hit, if you gave me a choice between Byron Buxton or Joey Gallo, I'd take Buxton every day, even though he only hit 12 home runs. The odds are that that power is going to continue to develop, whereas Joey Gallo's power, he's already at the highest level he's going to get. Developing that plate discipline is probably going to be harder for him than it will be for Buxton to develop more power. Buxton, if nothing else, will mature physically. His body will grow into itself. He's a fairly big kid anyway, but you know, they, as guys fill in, they tend to get stronger and they tend to develop power just because they're getting a little bit more physically able. And then, you know, maybe a guy like Javier Baez is kind of a, a guy who's a shortstop for the, for the Cubs, who's maybe more of a middle ground kind of guy because he's very athletic. Unlike Gallo's not that athletic, but Baez is pretty athletic and he's got really good raw power. But his, he also strikes out a lot, but he draws some walks. And so he hit, you know, so, so Baez hit 37 home runs and stole 20 bases, which for a shortstop is phenomenal, right? He hit 282. So he hit 282 compared to Gallo's 250, but he also struck out 147 times, which for me is a, is a pretty big red flag, but he's, he's also very young um, and playing certainly above his age level. So can he cut down on those strikeouts and maybe draw some more walks to maintain that, you know, that batting average in the 280 to 300 range, or is he going to go the other way like Joey Gallo and hit a lot of home runs, but just not ever figure out how to hit for average? How about on the pitching side, Rob? What skill sets are you looking for there to identify prospects who you think have a bright future at major league level? Yeah. Um, for pitchers, I really, you know, I really like the premium velocity. It's a, I love guys who throw strikes, but I, but I, it's way easier to, to, have you know you got a more of a margin for error if you throw in the mid 90s as opposed to you know 88 to 90 or 91 92 so i really look for the premium velocity first um and obviously having a good breaking ball and some sort of change up uh that you can throw even if it's not a great change up at, the, at an early age the fact that there's some sort of change up mixed in there um 
that's what I look for in elite pitching prospects. Really, you know, the ability to to strike out guys and to not walk guys. That's that seems to be the, the best recipe. And so maybe somebody who's got nine plus strikeouts per nine and fewer than three walks per nine. Um, somebody who this year I think was a really good example of that is the Reds' Robert Stevenson. Uh, he had a 2.99 ERA, 2.8 walks per nine, and 10.7 strikeouts per nine. So that's a that's a great ratio there because you know that means he's he's throwing strikes. He knows how to locate, but he's also not one of those just finesse guys who's who's you know throwing strikes that major league hitters are going to crush. He's able to to strike out 10.7 per nine, but also not walk guys. That's that's what I that's like the the gold standard that you look for. Um, you know, you might be able to live with a little bit of wildness. So somebody like the the Diamondbacks, Archie Bradley, he walked four point one per nine, but he also struck out nine point six per nine. Um, and he had a one eighty four ERA. So and that was at double at, at high A and double A for a, a very young pitcher. So I like that, but it's not it's it's you know the four point one walks per nine is a little bit of a red flag. And is that gonna is that number gonna gonna come down as he moves up, or is he gonna continue to struggle with control? And then when he hits the majors. You know he's gonna he's gonna run into difficulty, um, so it's really kind of figuring out that that balance there uh, between that strikeout to walk ratio with the the premium velocity. And the other thing, I guess the last thing I look for is um, you know limiting opposing hitters on their batting average against. And so somebody like Tyler Glass and I had just a fantastic year. The pitcher for the Pirates had a fantastic year this year. Struck out thirteen point three per nine but also limited opposing hitters to a 142 batting average against. So he, he struggles with his control a little bit too, but there's an indication there that the stuff that he's throwing is almost unhittable because the high strikeout rate and the low batting average against. You can live with a few more walks in that case. I was going to ask you about that, Rob. Uh, we look at BaseballHQ.com. At, we call it the command ratio, strikeouts to walks. When you're looking at a minor league guy, suppose you have two pitchers side-by-side and they both have a 3.5 command ratio, 3.5 strikeouts to walks. Would you be more inclined to favor a guy with seven strikeouts per nine versus two walks for a 3.5 command, or would you rather see a guy with 14 strikeouts and four walks? I'll take the 14 and four any day. Because the the problem, I mean, the comparison would be somebody like Robbie Erlin of the Padres versus Robert Stevenson, uh, you know, or Tyler Glass now. I would take the hard throwers any day because I think the the track record of those finesse guys, those soft tossers, um, yeah, you're going to get a Jamie Moyer now and then, um, you know, or, or a, a Cliff Lee, somebody who, you know, only throws 90 but can locate really well. But as you, as you get closer to the majors and, and hit the majors, pay, you know, the hitters become so much more patient at the plate and you run into a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox that are just going to take tons of pitches they're not going to help you out at all um you know whereas minor league hitters are going to be fairly aggressive and so what my sense is what happens is you see a guy who has a 3.5 you know command ratio strikeout to walk ratio but it's only 7k per nine when they hit the majors now it's dropped down to five point you know five strikeouts per nine right and and they're just getting lit up because they're, yeah, they're pounding the strike zone, but they don't have the stuff or the control, the pinpoint control to really um, place pitches in spots where hitters are not going to, major league hitters are not going to tee off on them. So I'll take the guy with the, the slightly, um, you know, higher strikeout rate who maybe walks more guys and hope that you can work with that guy and improve their control as they move up. 
Rob, uh, one of the best things every year about the off season is the Arizona Fall League and First Pitch Arizona, the Fantasy Baseball Symposium. Uh, this year running November 1st to 3rd down in Phoenix. I, I actually think you can go in on October 31st on Halloween night and get an early start. Uh, the Arizona Fall League has announced its rosters for this season. Uh, who are some of the bigger names they've announced to see in that league this year? Well, it looks like another good year, another band of year of prospects down there. Um, I think there was some some concern, you know, a couple years ago when they when they reworked the collective bargaining agreement and they moved up the signing deadline that um, you might not see as good of players in the fall league. Because what would happen before is, you know, players would get drive they had, get drafted and they they you know signed late um, and then they didn't really get any minor league action. So sometimes they'd make their debut in the Arizona Fall League. I know a couple years ago. Garrett Cole and Danny Holton were like number one and two in the in the draft, and they both made their their you know debuts in the Arizona Fall League. Um, but that hasn't that hasn't happened. There has not been a decline in the level of talent that's that's in the Fall League, which is great, I think, long term. So this year, the top prospect in baseball, Byron Buxton, is going to be in the Fall League. Um, the Cubs are actually sending a few elite prospects for a change. Or they almost never have. Well, part of it is they never had any good prospects to send down there, but they always they would always send you know these. 22-year-old guys that, you know, were not really great prospects. But this year, they're sending really their top three prospects. Javier Baez, who we talked about before. Chris Bryant, who was the second overall pick in the 2013 draft and hit 336 with nine home runs and 128 at-bats. Probably one of the, the better power hitters that was available in the 2013 draft. He's going to be there. And Albert Elmora, um, who was their first-round pick year before that, um, is going to be there and also had a very good year. Um, Colin Moran's going to be there. He was the sixth pick in the 2013 draft. Might have been the best pure hitter in the in the draft last year. Um, the Dodgers, Corey Seager is going to be there. Um, Addison Russell, who's maybe one of the best shortstop prospects in the minors for the A's, is going to be there. Uh, Delano DeShields, who stole 101 bases in 2012. He only stole 51 this year. So a little bit of a down year across the board on stolen bases. Um, but DeShields is going to be there. He'd be an interesting player to watch because um, he's again. He's kind of like Billy Hamilton. He's got great speed, but what else is he gonna is he gonna do for you? And I think they really want to take a good look at that and figure out not only what position is he gonna play, but is he gonna be able to hit enough? Um, Danny Holson, who's gonna make a return engagement, trying to prove he's healthy. He missed most of the year. He's gonna be there. Um, Marcus Stroman. I don't know if, if you know Marcus Stroman. He, interesting guy. Um, the only five nine. He's a, a right hander five nine, but he throws a mid nineties fastball. And struck out 129 while walking only 27 this year, so the jury's still out on whether Stroman's going to be a, a you know a reliever down the road at 5'9", or whether he's going to be able to stay as a starter. Um, and I think you know for now, anyways, they they see him as a starter. But it'll be interesting to see how he fares in a competitive environment like the Fall League. Um, and then the last guy I want to just kind of mention briefly is Kyle Crick uh, from the Giants. Maybe one of the best fastballs in the minors. Um, struck out 95 batters in 68 innings this year before he got uh, had a little bit of an issue with an oblique injury. But he seems to be healthy now, and he, he's going to be really exciting to watch down there. Fantastic information. Uh, first pitch, Arizona, November 1st to 3rd down there in Phoenix. Uh, go to BaseballHQ.com and see on the right-hand side there's an inf information block that you click on and find out how you can take part in it. And really the minor league prospects are a big part of it, but there's also so much more, Rob. You've been down there many years, uh, I know, and uh, maybe just briefly explain to listeners all the advantages of going to First Pitch Arizona. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, I've been going for, I don't know, close to a decade now. 
and it's really become a community. So you you go there and you you can get access and talk to some of the top fantasy writers in baseball. Scouts are are, are there. Scouts are pretty approach. I would say more approachable in the Arizona Fall League than they would be at a regular minor league game, just because they've seen the players all year. This is just kind of a recap for them, um, you know, and they're not inundated by fans, and so. Um, it's really accessible. Um, all the, you know, all the writers from Baseball HQ are, are there. They're very accessible. Um, you know, just it's just a, a really great community and a really laid back environment. Um, the, the games are not particularly well attended, which is a, a little disappointing given the level of talent. But it's, you know, it's like going to see a minor league all star game every every day, and there's only you know 50 to 100 people there. So you really it's a it's a very relaxed environment, but it's a really informative environment because you get to talk to some of the best minds in baseball. Every prospect you see out there you've heard of, first of all, unlike yeah. most minor league games, most of them you had on your radar for, for fantasy purposes, in some cases for a couple of years, and you actually get to see them up close. I remember seeing uh, one game a couple of years ago when I was down there, and Mike Trout and Bryce Harper were hitting 3-4 in the lineup yeah. for one team. Yeah, and not only do you see, like, you know, Trout and Harper, but like you can see them sitting in the first row, you know, and really get a, a, a very good look and feel for, you know, for how they're going to, what their swing is like and, you know, start talking to other people sitting around you that, you know, a lot of times you go to a minor league game and if you go by yourself or go with a, a friend or something, most of the other people are there just because they're, they're bringing their kids and they're having a good time. But here you can really have a, a, a group of, you know, baseball, either very avid fans or, you know, baseball writers who really know what they're talking about. And can kind of analyze collectively what the player is doing and what their swing looks like and all that kind of stuff. And I remember also seeing a shortstop who is very high in the Tampa organization, Reed Brignac. And a lot of guys in my home league had thought this was a guy I really, that they really wanted to draft. Our draft was coming up. And we actually got to go see him play. And he couldn't have looked less interested. He looked real unmotivated. He didn't look like he was in like a particularly all-around good player. And that kind of thing, I know it's scouts versus stats and all that kind of stuff, but boy, it really colored my impression of what kind of major league Reed Brignac might end up being. And I ended up not taking him. And in fact, he ended up not being that great a major leaguer. Right. No, I really think you can you can definitely see that down there. I mean, you know, character. Uh, I know you know Mike Trout didn't look that great when he played in the in the fall league a couple of years ago, but I think he you know he was just exhausted at the time. Right. But you know, you really can read something into the demeanor of the players. It's much easier to see that in the fall league just because you're so close. Um, you know, I, I think that that does is something that that's can be somewhat telling. Even if you just see the player physically, does the player really stand out to you? Um, which Brignac really never, never did physically. I mean, you, you, if you did a lineup and said, which is the guy that's supposed to be the superstar shortstop, he would not jump out at you. Um, you know, and so trying to be able to get a sense of that, of some of players, you know, we talk about athleticism. Um, it really is the great intangible. Uh, it doesn't make up for bad skills, but, you know, somebody with, I'll take the guy with the athleticism and the, and the skills versus the guy who maybe has good skills, but doesn't have that athleticism. And seeing the player in person like that over a series of, of games is, is really very effective uh, in terms of being able to judge their ability. It is. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, I also remember seeing uh, uh, a few years ago, we went to a game and there was one guy on the field. He was fairly small and fairly wiry. He looked athletic, but all he did was hit yeah. liners and homers. He had a triple. He could run like the wind. He made two or three sensational plays out in the outfield. And I know who you're talking about. <laughs> and everybody's going, wow. And it was Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. And right, and right away, 
Andrew McCutcheon just shot up to the top of everybody's yeah. draft board. And I think he was a known prospect at the time in the magazines and stuff. Yeah. But that's not the same thing. You know, it, it, now he's the number 10 prospect in everybody's draft, but he's the number one prospect in my draft yeah. because I saw him play. And not only that, McCutcheon never really had a breakout year until he got to the majors. So if you just looked at his stats, I mean, I don't think he hit more than maybe 260 or 270. And, you know, there were, there were people that were starting to doubt whether he would actually end up turning into that kind of player that he has. But you, if you watch him play in person, I saw him in the fall league and in spring training, and I was totally sold on him even during those years when he didn't have sort of the standout seasons. All right, Rob, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll ask you about your top 100 list, how the prospects fared, and maybe some 2014 planning. Uh, when we come back, more with Rob Gordon. Stay with us. It's Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. First Pitch Arizona. Come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. And we'll see you there. You've been hearing a lot about First Pitch Arizona the last little while here on the pod, and now they've added some extra sessions to this year's event. Vince Gennaro, president of Sabre and a contributor to MLB Network's Clubhouse Confidential, will be in Phoenix for First Pitch Arizona to talk about his work on pitcher similarity analysis, a way to find pitchers who have similarities that could have tactical implications for daily games. Vince will also be on a panel with Todd Zola of BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, and here of Baseball HQ Radio, and Derek Carty of DFSEdge.com to discuss other approaches to daily games. There's also going to be a new panel called New Tools for Advanced Pitching Analysis with Paul Sporer of PaintTheBlack.com, Eno Saris of Fangraphs, and Jason Collette of Rotowire and Baseball Prospectus, and also a guest here on Baseball HQ Radio. The session will look beyond metrics like walks and Ks and home runs per nine innings and into the new world of heat maps, pitch FX, and mechanics analysis, all to better identify those skilled pitchers who are primed for fantasy success. If you're kicking your own behind because you missed the August 30th deadline for early registration, well, you can give your foot and your behind a rest. You can save a full 20% as long as you register by September 30th. Get all the info at BaseballHQ.com slash seminars slash Arizona. And we'll see you there. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Coming around third, his teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt 
with Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com, the minor league analyst. And Rob, uh, we've talked about the first pitch Arizona and some of the news, but let's talk about the BaseballHQ.com top 100 every year. At the start of the year, you come out with your list of the top 100 prospects, and then at the end of the year, we get to look and see how you did. How did your prospects do overall? Well, I actually thought the list this year was uh, was really good. Um, if you go back and look at, say, the top 50, uh, of the vast majority of players either had really good years or were in the major leagues. So, for example, out of our top 10 prospects, eight of them are currently in the majors, and the only two who aren't are injured. So Oscar Tavares and, and Dylan Bundy uh, probably would be in the majors if they weren't hurt. Um, you know, we were really bullish on, on guys like Shelby Miller, and he had a very good year, and uh, Jose Fernandez, although I think he beat even our expectations, but both of those guys, uh, we, we were fairly bullish on them, and uh, they both exceeded our expectations. So overall, I thought the list was very good this year. I know there are always surprises. You're rating young men doing hard work, but which top 100 position players really surprised you by jumping up your list or making the jump from relatively down the list into the big leagues? Well, obviously, you know, the guy that sort of first springs to mind is Yasiel Puig. Um, you know, I think going into going into the year, we we Jeremy Deloney and I really liked his athleticism. Um, you know, we thought he had all star potential, but I don't think there was any way anybody on the planet thought saw that coming. Um, you know, and certainly he's still got some he's still have some rough edges, not only in his game but sort of in his demeanor on the field and all that. Um, but wow, he's just uh, he's just really you know, took the baseball world by storm for a few months there. And he's starting to, you know, struggle a little bit, which is not surprising. But, um, you know, I just, I don't think anyone had any way of knowing that he would, he would jump up quite that quickly uh, or in that way that he did. So he was the, he was the first guy that really sort of jumped out of me. Cause I think we had him in the, you know, like in the, in the 60 to 70 range somewhere in our, on a top 100 list. Um, the other guy who really had maybe one of the, the, the best minor league seasons in a long time is, is the Astros center fielder, George Springer, who for a while there looked like he was going to be the, the first 40, 40 player in the minors in about 50 years. Um, so he hit, uh, I think he ended up with like 37, 38 home runs and 45 stolen bases and hit 303, drew 83 walks, plays really good defense in center field. You know, we really liked his athleticism again, but there, you know, I think there were, there were some concerns about his ability to, to hit for average and how consistent could he be. And boy, did he, he really blew away our expectations there. So, um, so he's a guy that really that stood out too. Um, Xander Bogarts from the from the Red Sox, another twenty year old who is now playing in the major leagues. Uh, you know, I think everyone was kind of looking at him. Maybe next year he would be up, uh, but he had a fantastic year. Showed some good power again. Very good play. I think the thing that really stands out about these guys is that they again their their, their ability to to draw walks and so. Yeah, they can hit the ball and they can hit the ball with power, but they also have a pretty good eye at the plate. And sometimes they, they strike out a fair amount, but it's the, the high walk rate really seems to be key. So he Bogarts is another guy who I think we have not seen the best of yet. I think the best is still to come, but he really um, jumped out this year. And of course, you know, Will Myers, I think everyone, you know, I think we had him ranked as a number three prospect. And so to say that he had, you know, probably be the, the you know, American League rookie of the year, I would think. Um you know, to say he had a good year or a surprising year, I think is, you know, we had him at number three, but I think he really, yeah, he almost looked better in the major leagues than he did in the minors. I don't know if he was bored in the minors or what the what the deal was, but, you know, if you combine his minor league numbers with his major league numbers, he's going to have 25 home runs and 100 RBIs and hit close to 300. So he really had a, a really good year this year. 
the expectation was he was going to struggle to hit for average in the in the majors, at least to start with. And I can't imagine there wasn't a single person who didn't find it very surprising that his average went up as much as it did once he got to the top level. Yeah, usually it's the other way, you know. So if you hit 280 in the minors, you're going to hit you know 240 or 250 in the majors because the pitchers are just going to be better. They're going to be more selective. You're going to see pitches you've never seen before. But he he did the opposite. So I, that's. To me, sometimes that's an indication that the player was stagnating a little bit because they took their time calling him up, and he was probably ready, even in spring training, he was probably ready for the majors. And so you do see that happen occasionally. It's hard to sort of put your finger on and predict that, but you do see that happen where some, sometimes the guys are just a little bit bored. Earlier you mentioned Jose Fernandez of the Marlins, obviously a fantastic year. Any other pitchers whose stock really rose for you this season? Well, certainly, you know, Shelby Miller had had a fantastic year. You know, he ended up, he's going to, I think right now he's got 48 walks and 157 strikeouts. He just, his look, you know, I think there was some question last year in the, in the playoffs was, was he better or um, was Trevor Rosenthal better? And, you know, Rosenthal looked really good in the playoffs as a relief pitcher, but Miller, and Miller didn't quite look as good as in, in relief, but I, I was still a firm believer in Shelby Miller and thought he was going to have a really good year this year. And he did exactly that. Um, Robert Stevenson, who we talked about briefly before, had, had a fantastic, really nice breakout season this year. Another guy who we mentioned before, Tony Singrani, I think really surprised some people with Cincinnati. Um, right now he's 7-3 and three with a 2.80 ERA. Um, you know, I think there were people that, which I didn't quite understand, there were people that didn't think his, his slider was going to be good enough in the major leagues. And I don't know, I watched him pitch in the minors numerous times, and I thought, that this guy, he misses bats all the time. You know, he's consistently had a very high strikeout rate while having a fairly low walk rate. Um, and it wasn't like he was doing it with a, a, an 85-mile-an-hour fastball. He throws in the you know, mid-90s. So I really thought he was going to have a breakout year this year, and, and he did exactly that. Um, a couple of other guys, Kyle Zimmer. Don't be fooled by his year-end stats. I think he's got like a 4.4 ERA or something like that. In June, he had a six, like 6.8 ERA. So since since then he really turned things around. He's a very good strikeout to walk ratio, and in the second half he had about a two or below ERA. So he had a really nice year. Um, but if you look at the surface stats over the course of the year, it's not necessarily going to be immediately obvious that he had such a good year. And then Archie Bradley, who we talked about before too, also um, just really really lights out this year um, for a very young pitcher. He does struggle with control a little bit, but he's going to be fantastic once he reaches the majors. On the flip side of the coin, Rob, every year there are some fairly highly rated prospects who just don't deliver or take big steps backward. Let's look at some batters in that uh, category. Which batter's stock fell the most for you? Well, I think the, you know, the first guy that, that springs to mind for me is, is the Cubs' Brett Jackson. And I, I don't think I could have been any more wrong on a prospect than I have been about Brett Jackson. Um, you know, he struggled last year when he came up to the majors, but I thought, you know, this is a guy who, who yes, he's going to strike out, and yes, his batting average maybe isn't going to be 300, but I was, I was still convinced, even after what he did in the majors last year, that he could go down to the minors and regroup, and that he would be a guy that would hit maybe 250. I, I always saw him as like kind of a Mike Cameron kind of player, a guy who's going to hit 250 or 260, hit 20 home runs, steal 20 bases, and play pretty good defense, but he has looked nothing like that this year. Um, they even sent him down from, they demoted him back down to double-A, where he hit 200 in, in the last 30 games of the season. So for the year, he hit 210, struck out 121 times in 324 at-bats, and he just does not look like the same player he was two years ago. I think it's mostly mental, but that's a big part of the game, being able to sort of maintain that confidence when you struggle. A lot of these guys 
have never struggled like that before. And when they do, how do you respond to that? He has not responded well. A um, couple guys from the Yankees, I have to learn at some point in time not to not to buy into the Yankees hype machine. Um, Tyler Austin and, and Gary Sanchez both had pretty pedestrian years this year after you know having fairly nice seasons last year. Um, I think that maybe we were a little bit overly optimistic about Austin and, and he got hurt. So so maybe that's a little bit of a do over there. We'll see what he looks like in the in the fall league. But Tyler Austin and Gary Sanchez, I think both, you know, took a significant step back. Uh, another guy who I think, you know, had some injury issues uh, is Mike Olt from the Cubs. Last year, he hit uh, 280 with pretty good power. Um, and this year, he, got, he had a concussion in the Dominican uh, Winter League. He got hit by a pitch in the offseason. And then he had some eye problems uh, early in the year. But he hit, for the year, he hit 201 with 132 strikeouts and 373 at-bats. And he actually hit worse after he got traded to the Cubs for, for Matt Garza. So a huge disappointment for, for Mike Olt this year. Um, we'll have to see if the, if the injury issues go away or if maybe we, we weren't just missed the, missed the boat on, on Mike Olt. Um, and the last guy is Trevor Story, from the shortstop from the, from the Rockies, who I think we were pretty optimistic about. And I still have some hope for him, but he, he really was, was disappointing this year. Of those names, which one would you say you have the, the highest confidence of a rebound? Boy, I don't know. I would say, I would say probably Tyler Austin, just because um, there was a, a bit of a, a wrist injury there. And sometimes, especially with the, you know, with power, it's really going to, it's really going to take a while to recover from something like that. Sure. Yeah. I think we really have to reassess all those players. Certainly. I think I have the least hope in Brett Jackson at this point in time. We've seen enough of him. Um, over the last two years to really think that unless there's some dramatic turnaround that he's not going to be the player that maybe we thought he was a, a couple years ago. Um, I, I think I probably would still have the most optimism in Tyler Austin. How about some pitchers, Rob? Uh, they're obviously more volatile than position players anyway, so more likely to move up or down the list. Uh, which pitchers fell down or maybe right off your list? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think going back and looking over the list, I actually think we did a pretty good job on that list. There weren't that many players that really had horrible years or that really struggled. Um, and, and in fact, more often than not, when in going through and looking at the players, they actually had pretty good years. So the, the, the couple guys I think jump out with Willie Peralta certainly, you know, was coming off a, a, a nice season in 2012. And I thought was on the verge of, of really making a breakthrough in the major leagues and not necessarily being a, you know, a number one or number two starter, but being a solid mid rotation guy. And he really regressed this year. He went back to, you know, sort of having trouble with, with his control and then coming into the zone and, and really getting lit up. And so for me, he, he's taken a significant step back. And I think given his age and his experience level at this point, that was very disappointing. And I think I, I think reassessing him, I think he, he probably is not going to be nearly as effective as, as he looked. He can still be effective at times. He's maddeningly inconsistent. We'll go out and have a good start, and then the next two starts just get – you know, lit up. Um, but I think that, I think that that's who he is now. He's, he's old enough now that that's probably, that dynamic's probably not going to change. Um, Trevor May for the, for the twins struggles. He continued, he's had some years where he's been in some stretches where he's had pretty good control, but by and large, he really continues to struggle with his control. Got really good stuff. He has just a premium velocity and he's got the ideal power pitcher frame. He's like six four, two forty. Really, you know, has has a nice body and really looks like a, a, a solid starter. But until those stro you know control issues really start to improve, I think he he's going to be suspect. And the last guy I've been very disappointed with is Trevor Bauer. Um, you know, I think he had 
Tim Linscombe kind of stuff when he was when he was in college. Um, you know, really really looked like a dynamic pitcher. There were the same concerns that people had about Lincecum. You know, he did a lot of long tossing. He had kind of his own his own mindset about the way he wanted to pitch. Um, not a real big guy, and he's really struggled with his control. So his ERA has not been horrible in the minors. It was, you know, slightly over four. But he walked 73 in 121 innings in the minors, and he's walked 16 in 17 innings in the majors. Wow. And you just you just cannot do that at the major league level and continue to have success. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon, minor league analyst at BaseballHQ.com. And Rob, of course, a lot of fantasy owners are planning for 2014. Even some that are doing well this year are always looking ahead. And everyone's going to be looking as soon as the season's over, of course. Looking at all the prospects, looking at organizations, organizational needs and their track records and so forth. Which batters do you think are really solid bets to be in the majors on opening day next season who aren't in the major leagues now? If people are looking for a, a September call-up who hasn't been called up yet but who might be, George Springer would be would be top of my list of guys to keep an eye on because I think the only reason he hasn't been called up so far is that his, his team in the minors, his AAA team, is uh, is in the playoffs and they're gonna, they want him to get that experience. I think as soon as that's over, they will call him up and he should see significant playing time down the stretch and be ready to take over next year. Um, you know, he again, he, he, he flirted with a, a 40-40 season this year in the minors, which is pretty unheard of. I would be very optimistic that I don't see any reason why the Astros, other than financial reasons, which is always hard to, hard to read, but he looks ready for the majors to me. And, and depending on how he looks in September, I would be very optimistic that, that he's going to be a guy that's going to uh, get some significant playing time next year in the majors, um, right, right out of the, the gate. It'd be interesting to see what they do with his, um, his teammate, Jonathan Singleton, who, who really struggled a bit this year. Um, you know, had a, had kind of a disappointing year. He had a, he got a, had a 50 game suspension for a drug violation, not, not a steroids violation, but for a drug violation. And, uh, when he came back really kind of laid an egg the rest of the season. But I think at the beginning of the year, there were probably, there were probably people that were higher on Singleton than they were on Springer. So I think, again, the Astros, it's not like Brett Wallace is, is tearing things up. And so I think um, Singleton will probably get be another guy who the Astros aren't going anywhere. They really had, they have to rebuild now. So I think uh, Springer and Singleton would be two guys that I'd be very optimistic about. And the other guy I think I'd be interested to see what happens is to see what the Tigers do with Nick Castellanos. Um, he spent a whole year at AAA this year, had a reasonably good season, 275 batting average with 37 doubles and 18 home runs. But he is just 21 years old, and the Tigers are really in win-now mode. And so will they will they send him down back down to the minors for another second season at AAA, or will they find a, a spot for him in, in, uh, in left field? I think they find a spot for him in left field, but that would be an interesting one to watch. Of course, the other uh, thing about the Tigers is they have money and they're not afraid to spend it. So if they think they need a solution in left field other than Tuiasa Sopo or you know guys like that, Andy Dirks, yeah, uh, then perhaps they'll just go out and buy one. There's always a free agent or two available. But yeah, Castellanos looks like a, a very solid prospect for that left field job in Detroit next year, and that'd be quite a nice lineup for him to join. It would be, and I think that that's the value there. I mean, he might not, you know, if, he might because he's so young. He might struggle a little bit with. Uh, you know, with his batting average and consistency, but he's got, I think he has better power than people think he has just because, you know, he's going to be one of those guys that I think develops a little bit later. Um, but he's, he's got one of the better pure batting eyes and a, a real nice, solid, quick swing um, of anyone in the minors. It's kind of a handsy swing, but it's a, it's a good swing. Um, 
you know, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him, uh, whether he's going to actually be able to break through. I think long-term he's obviously better than Tuasa Sopo or Andy Dirks, but will the Tigers want to go out and get a free agent or will they give him an opportunity to, to break in? How about some pitchers that you think are top bets to be on 25-man Major League rosters as of next opening day? That's always it's always hard to, to read, too. I mean, like I said, I think the, the top guys this year – weren't certain, you know, Jose Fernandez, I don't think was anybody's radar as a, as an impact prospect, but, uh, you know, for, for 2013 in the majors. Um, but I think, uh, Tyler Skaggs be an interesting guy to watch. He's been a little bit up and down this year, but I really think he's got good stuff. And I think given some time to consolidate his experiences he's had this year, I really like him next year. Um, Jameson Tyone, I, I, I really like, I know the, the, the pirates, um, you know, have had a very good year this year, and I think the future just keeps getting brighter and brighter for them. Danny Hudson, assuming that he's healthy, I think everyone thought that he would he would actually secure a rotation spot this year. Um, but I think I think going forward, if he's assuming that he's healthy in the in the fall league and and looks like he did, you know, when when they drafted him, I think he's a good bet to to join um, James Paxton and and Taiwan Walker in the Mariners rotation next year. Wow, that would be quite a uh, rookie rotation in in Seattle then. It would be. I mean, you know, think about what the A's did with all their young starters the last couple of years. And so I think there's that same kind of potential in Seattle. Yeah, what the A's are doing is really interesting. I think just lengthening out their rotation to account for the inevitable injuries. They're a real smart organization. They are. Here's a tough one for you, Rob. Give me one hitter that everybody's positive is going to be on a major league roster next opening day that you're pretty sure he's not going to be on a roster. That's such a hard thing to, to figure out just because I think I think Xander Bogarts might be might be that guy. I think in watching him play, certainly there was some there was some hesitation that the the Red Sox had, even though he's he hit fairly well, there there clearly is some hesitation they have to turning things over to such a young player. Um I think, you know, people are going to I think people are going to look at him and look at the numbers and say he's ready. He, you know, he had a good year in the minors. He hit decently when he came up. But I could see them holding back on him for another year and saying we're just going to, you know, we don't really need him. Everybody's healthy now. Uh we'll go with Middlebrooks and some other combinations, you know, we'll we'll just give him an extra year of experience in the minors, which I actually think wouldn't be a bad idea, but I think I think he's going to be a guy that gets drafted pretty pretty heavily and highly and, and might actually end up spending, if not the whole year, at least a good chunk of the year in the minors next year. And any pitchers you can think of who are in the same boat, everybody knows they're going to be in the majors and they won't be. It'd be interesting to see what they do with Taiwan Walker. Again, a really young guy. Um, are they, are they going to, you know, are they going to have him come up after that limited amount of experience in the minors and really, you know, make 25, 30 starts in the majors or will they, will they, you know, sit him down and have him start, maybe call him up. Um, more like around the middle of the season. Um, I think same with Archie Bradley. I mean, I think there's an expectation that, I mean, there was some speculation that he might get called up even, even this year to help the Diamondbacks. And, and um, I, I think, I think some of those guys, especially those young guys like that, like Archie Bradley and, um, and Taiwan Walker, sometimes they just need that limit of experience that, you know, you see some teams like Tampa, they, they're so smart. And one of the reasons they've been successful, I think, with the young pitchers is that they've been go slow with those guys. And they, they even when they brought them up and had a little bit of major league experience, they still then start them back the next year at either double A AA or triple A and then bring them up kind of when needed or around the middle of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if both of those guys end up seeing a little bit more time in the minors than than what people are thinking. 
And, of course, you mentioned earlier talking about somebody else. There are financial considerations for the clubs as well to not bring players up at the start of the year because it starts their service clock going, gets them to arbitration and free agency a little earlier, a year earlier in some instances, and uh, that can cost them an awful lot of money. Has that changed any, in your opinion, over the last few years? Some people say it has. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's less of a factor. Um, I mean, certainly you see guys, you know, like Jose Fernandez. I mean, Marlins didn't blink an eye. I mean, which is very surprising, I thought, um, in, in burning an arbitration that they brought him up. They needed him. They felt like he was ready. And I don't think that I don't think that factored into their decision making process at all. Um, and I don't know, maybe if teams realize that the, that's just what they need to do in order to win now. Um, although it's not like the Marlins were going anywhere. Yeah, I was going to say. Maybe the, the, the thing that's deterring or making teams rethink that is that teams seem now willing to sign, not to wait for, for players to hit their arbitration years, right? Um, but to actually extend contracts after after a couple of years. You know, think about like Buster Posey. They didn't let the guys you know sort of get to the point where they were arguing about arbitration. Um, they're signing their players, their younger players, for longer periods of time earlier than they used to be. So maybe the team's are figuring that, well, we're just going to do that anyways. And so the arbitration year is not going to make that much of a difference. Rob, you mentioned how smart Tampa is about bringing their pitchers along slowly. A little earlier when we were talking about prospects who were busts, a couple of them were prominently members of the Cubs organization, although Mike Holt was an acquisition by the new uh, general manager and the front office there. But We've talked in the past that some organizations just are better at this whole talent acquisition and development process. Who are the top two and the bottom two in that regard as far as you're concerned? The Pirates have done a very good job of rebuilding that organization. Um, you know, there was a time when McCutcheon first came up when they were kind of on the cusp of a couple of years of, of breaking that streak of, of uh, you know, finishing under 500. But they just didn't have the the players to turn to when they had injuries or as players got tired or became less effective down the stretch. Now they do. You know, they can go to, to a Garrett Cole or a Jameson Tyone or, you know, some you know, some of the other elite prospects like a, a, a Gregory Polanco or an Alan Hansen. Um, so they've really they've really been very aggressive both in the draft and on the international scene. Um, and they've done I think a really good job not only of being aggressive, but targeting and developing good players. And so the guys that they've gotten you know, Polanco and Hansen are two great examples. I don't think they were really high-profile players when they were when they were acquired, but they've really done a very good job of developing their minor league talent. So the Pirates, I would put very much up there in the mix now. Certainly the Cardinals. The Cardinals just churn out prospect after prospect after prospect. It seems like they have an endless supply of guys, and they're not necessarily elite, you know, like top five uh, draft picks because they've been good pretty much every year for the last decade. So they're getting guys, you know, like Michael Walker down, down further in the draft, but done, they just do a fantastic job of player development. Um, certainly Tampa does a, does a very good job. Um, you know, I think the, the Tigers uh, historically have, have not done a very good job. Um, their farm system tends to be fairly thin. There are times when, you know, I think they've used six starting pitchers this year, which is just so remarkably fortunate on their part. Yeah. But the reality is they didn't have anybody else to turn to. Yeah. Um, so I think they've, they've just not done a, a very good job on either spending money internationally or acquiring the kinds of players. Obviously they've, they've done well recently too. And so they're drafting later in the draft, but before they had the, you know, the sort of firm slot there, the Tigers, what the Tigers would do is they'd just go out and, and get a guy at the end of the first round and they'd overpay for somebody who slipped, you know, like a Rick Porcello or somebody like that. 
But that would be the only guy that year that they got. And then they'd go back to drafting college players in order to save money later on after that. And they, they've really not done a great job of developing talent. The Cubs have, historically have not done a very good job either. And it'll be interesting to see if somebody like Javier Baez, yes, they've identified a fantastic player, which is the first step. But now can they help him transform from this fantastic player into a really good major league player? Can they help him with his plate discipline? Can they help him with his very aggressive approach at the plate? Or does he continue to be that player? And I think the jury is still out on, on the Cubs, but I have concerns that they still haven't figured that out. All right, Rob, this has been fantastic. Uh, you know, during the off season, what's Baseball HQ's plans or schedules for minor league coverage as we get geared up for 2014? Sure. Well, the first step, the first step is to kind of take a postmortem on our top 100 and look at it in a little bit more depth and and figure out, you know, where did we, where did we go wrong? Which players did we miss on? Um, so that's going to be coming out, I think, next week. And then we'll really start uh, start looking at the Arizona Fall League. So we've got a, a preview column from the Arizona Fall League and go provide some scouting reports for the players that you're going to see down there. Um, that's always an exciting time, not only because of the first pitch for them, but you really get to see some really elite level prospects playing against each other. Um, and mo- almost all the teams that are going to be down there, the six teams that play down there, almost all of them have four or five really good prospects to watch. And then another four or five, you know, pretty good prospects. So, so that'd be coming out in a few weeks. And then after that, we really start ramping up and doing our organizational port reports where we provide scouting reports for the top 15 prospects in each organization. And that usually starts in November. All right, Rob, thanks very much for doing this. We do appreciate it. And I uh, hope you have a great time down there at First Pitch Arizona. Yeah, I look forward to seeing everyone down there, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Rob Gordon is a minor leagues analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he gives us the minor league minute every week during the regular season of Baseball HQ Radio. Stay with us. We have our matchups report and master notes coming up next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. 1-1, pitch. He popped him up. He's going to get it. Grocious down from third. Grocious makes the catch. Ball game over. A perfect game. A perfect game for David Cohn. The third time works like a charm. It is the third perfect game in Yankee Stadium history. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, our September special edition number one. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for some commentaries. We have Dan Becker on deck with Master Notes, and leading off, it's HQ Matchups, our regular Friday edition look at some pitchers and their opponents this coming week. Remember, our Baseball HQ Matchup ratings run from plus five, which is a must start, to minus five, which is a must sit. Now, looking at excellent Oakland rookie Sonny Gray hosting the Angels, the Twins' Liam Hendricks against the White Sox, and more, here's BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst Ryan Bloomfield. 23-year-old Sonny Gray is mowing through lineups in his first stint in the big leagues, posting a 263 ERA and a 104 whip over 48 innings so far. He gets an excellent 3.11 matchup rating from BaseballHQ.com starting pitching report against C.J. Wilson and the Angels. Gray's elite ERA is backed up by his sub-3 expected ERA. His 3.6 command ratio is tremendous, and a 52% ground ball rate is limiting the damage as well. All signs point to another strong outing for Gray here. Francisco Liriano is also a good bet for a strong outing with a 289 score against the Cubs on Sunday. Liriano is striking out over a batter per inning this year with a 14% swinging strike rate near the top among all starters. 
Liriano's 324 expected ERA and 99 BPV say his strong season is legit. Liriano's already faced the Cubs three times this season. He's given up just a total of two runs in those starts. The Cubs haven't hit at all on the road either, hitting 230 as a team and averaging three and a half runs per game away from Wrigley. On the flip side, Liam Hendricks gets another sub-zero matchup rating against the White Sox on Monday. Chicago's a weak lineup to go up against, but he will face them in homer-friendly U.S. cellular field. The main reason to avoid him, though, is just a general lack of skill overall this season. A 4.8 strikeouts per nine is extremely low, and it really limits any chance of a dominant outing. A 4.84 expected ERA says his 5.25 surface ERA this year is pretty well deserved. Continue to avoid Hendricks here. And last but not least is Daisuke Matsuzaka with the Mets. It's only been four starts with Daisuke at the major league level so far, but it's been enough to prove that he hasn't improved much since the end of his Red Sox days. Daisuke hasn't shown much control so far, walking five batters per nine, and he's only gone further than five innings just once. His 28 BPV confirms the fact that even against the Marlins, you should stay away from Daisuke. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Hey, all you daily streaming league and salary cap gamers, Ryan Bloomfield, Troy Martell, and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com Batting Buyer's Guide columnist Dan Becker talking about five resolutions for this offseason. As the season winds down, it's important that owners take stock of what is and what isn't working in terms of their individual strategy and management approach. If you're finishing up a disappointing year, now is the time to focus on how to improve. Do the work, and nobody will see you coming next season. And if you dominated the competition, don't let positive results fool you into thinking you have things figured out. Every year is different, and defending a championship is often much harder than winning one. In an effort to carry forward some momentum into the offseason, five fantasy baseball resolutions for 2014 that I intend to keep. Number one is be more prepared. Write down your own set of resolutions and make a plan to execute them. If you play fantasy baseball for fun and don't care about competing, then don't bother. But if you play to win, you should prepare accordingly. We're living in a time when useful information has never been more available. MLB teams are covered exhaustively on a year-round basis, making relevant news readily available to fans. And of course, BaseballHQ.com has fantasy owners covered with the best news, content, and analysis in the business. There's no reason to head into the season behind the information curve. Number two, don't just know what you think, know what everyone else thinks. Having strong opinions on player value is important, but thorough draft prep means knowing just as much about what the market at large thinks about these players. I want to know how the public feels about the player pool to gain a sense for how my potential competition is liable to draft. This data helps me to strategize to accumulate maximum roster value. That process begins with reading the forecaster and HQ.com, but must be augmented with plenty of mock drafting. Mock drafts are great practice, but they're also a great source of market data for each fantasy platform. Information gleaned in mocks can be applied to actual drafts with great success. Number three, for impact bats, trades are better than waiver claims. 
Other than surprise call-ups and a handful of surprise breakouts, most players on waivers belong there. It's important to be consistent about monitoring the waiver wire, but I intend to focus the bulk of my time negotiating trades that can make a real impact on my results. Trade discussions are the best way to engage with fellow owners while learning more about how they value players. The first couple of trades may fall apart, but those negotiations may provide a window to negotiate a deal that previously seemed unrealistic. Number four, wait, wait, wait on pitching. For a batter trying to hit good pitching, staying back is extremely important. It's just as important to me when drafting my pitching staff. Injuries and unforeseen performance dips occur almost at random, while every year seems to yield a new crop of effective arms. The Starting Pitcher's Buyer's Guide and Bullpen Buyer's Guide are good places to start. I plan to adjust accordingly and reduce my investment in premium arms while doing homework on low-cost, high-upside options that can produce similar results at a fractional cost. Number five, always have a backup plan. The season is long, and knowing how to steer out of a skid is critical to remaining competitive. In the preseason, I will understand the player pool and have my tiers ready in drafts so I can adjust on the fly. In season, I will have secondary options ready to pursue in trade and via waiver claims in the event of poor performance, injury, or suspension. In the offseason, I will make resolutions to adhere to the following season. The cycle continues. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Dan Becker of BaseballHQ.com. Batting Buyer's Guide columnist Dan Becker is a member of the Masternotes rotation at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Masternotes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every show. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September 13th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to the first of our two September specials and show number 41 of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I also want to thank my guests today from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our feature guest was BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon, who was just great with tons of information about those prospects. Our HQ matchups commentator was BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield, and our Master Notes commentator was Batting Buyer's Guide columnist Dan Becker. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, and I'd be glad to see you there. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in two weeks on Friday the 27th with our second September special, our BaseballHQ.com roundtable look at the Fantasy Baseball Awards for 2013. That'll be our next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. 
The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>